Amen. Thank you. Thank you so much, Pastor. I am going to give your church one of the best compliments ever. And I'm, I'm serious with this. This is a great compliment. Your church sings better when you don't know the words than most churches in America sing when they know the words. I am telling you the honest truth. You guys sing better when you don't know the words than most churches sing when they know the words. Now, I got to tell you one thing, though. I've already been humbled, but it was wise. I mean, that Debbie, she's pretty wise there. She's pretty wise. So as soon as, uh, you know, we lost the words on the thing, Debbie immediately looks on her phone and finds the words. Way to go, Deb. And who does she share with? Not the guest speaker, Cassie. And there's a reason for that. I know that. Because you've been standing next to me during singing. And you go, I'm sharing with Cassie because it's more important that Cassie sings than Jim sings. Amen. Amen. I got to tell you, I don't sing at all, and I wasn't going to tell you this story, but it's too good. It just fits perfect right here. And Debbie can really relate with this story, I want to tell you. So um, some of you know a pastor in Raleigh named Tim Rabin. And... um, Tim Raven was a guest speaker at West Coast, and we were in the ready room before we went out, and Dr. Getz was getting us organized who we were going to sit by, and uh, um, and they said, Dr. Shuttler, you'll sit next to Pastor Raven, and Pastor Raven kind of nudged me, and he said, oh, I'm sorry. I said, what about? He said, oh, you got to hear my singing. I am the worst singer in the world. And I said, no, Pastor Raven, that would be me. I have the worst voice you have ever heard. And Pastor Raven says, no, I got to tell you something. All my church members, my wife tells me, I got the worst voice in the world. I'm so sorry you're going to be standing next to me. I said, I'm telling you, Pastor Raven, I got the worst voice you've ever heard. We go out there. We sing the opening hymn, second verse of the opening hymn. He hits me, and he goes, you win. No, honestly, I got the worst voice, and Debbie realizes that and says, okay, I'm going to share this with Cassie. Amen. Take your Bibles. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. We do have to have some preface statements for tonight's message. Kind of a new message for me, some areas that I um, combined some things and uh, did some things I want to share with you tonight. Um, So I will need to take about 10 minutes and, and just talk to you a little bit uh, about some preface statements to this message. Um, number n- number one, we're, we're not here tonight to be taught about performance Christianity. Our salvation is by grace alone. Anything I teach tonight can only be accomplished by the power of the Holy Spirit. It isn't going to be how hard you try and what you do. It's going to be the, the Spirit of God. Uh, years ago when I was a youth pastor, I uh, had been taking teenagers to camp for years. And uh, this one uh, year, this one summer, uh, I probably had 120, over 120 teenagers at the camp. And um, the camp started on a Sunday night. Uh, we had Sunday night service, great message, just what my teenagers need. Nobody responded. Monday morning, excellent other preacher that was going to be for the camp for that week preached Perfect message for our teenagers. I'm talking 7th through 12th grade. It's got 120 teenagers. There's probably six, 700 kids at the camp. Okay, we're, I think we're about the largest group, one group. But anyways, be that as it may, Monday morning, kids are moving from all over the auditorium except for my block of 120 teens. 
well, we've had a good year in the youth group, and the kids have been tender. I haven't, like, felt a lot of rebellion. But I go like, man, I don't ever remember going to camp for two services, and none of our kids respond. Tuesday night, or Tuesday afternoon, same thing. Nobody responds. Monday, Monday night, and Monday night, nobody responds. Tuesday morning, chapel, this is our fourth message, and they have rung the bell. Nobody, nobody responds. After the, uh, the Tuesday morning chapel, I get six of our leaders, and I, and I get them out to the back. And I said, hey, guys, what in the world's going on? They go, what are we talking about, Pastor? You know what I'm talking about. We've been here for th- part of three days. We've heard four of the best messages I've ever heard at camp, and not one. A seventh grade girl hasn't responded. I said, what's going on? Well, they all got their heads down. And so I just start, you know, Aaron, Scott, Dave, what is going on? Tim, come on. Something's going on. Finally, Scott raises his head and he, he says, well, you know, Pastor, we come to this camp every summer. Yeah, and your point is, well, we kind of hear the same messages. We get right about this. We get right about our thought life. We get right about our friends. We get right about our music, whatever. Yeah, and then two weeks after we get back to camp, we're exactly the same as we were before. So we made a pact as a youth group. I said, you what? We made a pact as a youth group that this week we weren't going to make any decisions at camp because the decisions we make, we never keep. I looked at those six guys and said, hey, guys, you look at me right now. Let me tell you, first of all, that's from the pit of hell. Let me tell you something, guys. You will never grow spiritually in your life if you ever stop making decisions. You cannot grow spiritually without making spiritual decisions. Let me tell you something. I personally probably, and I'm I'm, I'm coming up with a number, but I think I'm probably close with this. I probably made 15 commitments from age 17 to age 22 about having my devotions every day. I probably made 15 commitments. God, this is it. I'm going to start in my devotions every day and failed every time. But I'll tell you what, last 35, 40 years of my life, I have my devotions every day. You know what? You don't stop making decisions, folks. And I don't care who you are. I don't care how old you are. I don't care what age group you're in. The only way a person grows spiritually is that they continue to make spiritual decisions. Now, you do have to have spiritual discipline. You got to make spiritual decisions and you have to have spiritual discipline. And if you have both of those things, you will grow spiritually. But don't ever stop making decisions. And Gospel Light Baptist Church, let me encourage you tonight. If God speaks to you about an area of maturity in your life, make a decision about it. You're going to need the Holy Spirit. You're going to probably fail. The just man falleth seven times, but he riseth up again. You don't quit just because you, you, you failed. You make a decision. You know what? Tonight, Brother Shetler said something. Boy, the Spirit of God really spoke to my heart about that, and I need to make a decision about that. God, you know how many times I've made decisions on that, but i got to keep growing, and i got to keep making decisions. We all on the same page with that? Okay, second thing. I've been around the block long enough to know this. Satan knows how to do this convicting thing. The Bible even calls him the accuser of the brethren. Okay, so 
what we got to do tonight before we get started. And we're going to talk about conviction tonight in some areas, very practical areas of our spiritual journey and our spiritual walk. We need a definition. We need not so much a definition. We need an explanation of how the Holy Spirit convicts a person. Because I don't want anyone leaving here with this false guilt of, man, I don't know, it just feels like that church gospel light, it's all about performance and how you live. I just, I'm just in Jesus. No, 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 listen. The Bible says, exercise thyself unto godliness. There is a way that we are supposed to live. But I also know that Satan beats people up and, and makes you just feel so guilty. So let me help you with a little illustration that I really do mean this. I think will help you the rest of your life. The rest of your life. And if there's no other reason why you came tonight but to understand Holy Spirit conviction, it was worth coming tonight. And I do thank you guys for being here tonight. Okay, so a uh, little illustration. We're all in a basketball game. There's two teams, blue team, white team. Game starts. Two minutes into the game, referee blows the whistle. Blows it. Can someone blow the whistle? Can someone blow the whistle? Oh, I hear something. Okay, whistle blows. Everybody stops. <laughs> That's okay. That's the only one we'll do tonight. Okay. Everyone stops. Referee says, Foul! Foul! Everyone stands around. On who? <laughs> you think I'm going to tell you that? Ref, you just blow the whistle. Yeah, foul. Foul. Well, who's it on? I'm not telling you. Okay, all right, ref, which team is it on? Oh, you think you're going to get that out of me? Ref, you just called a foul because there was a foul. But, but, but you, didn't, you didn't tell us. Who the foul's on? No, I'm not telling you who the foul's on. Let me tell you about the Holy Spirit's conviction. Number one, the Holy Spirit's conviction is always specific. It's always specific. Brother Schiller, sometimes I come to church, I feel guilty all the time. That's the devil. No, that's the devil. When the Holy Spirit convicts somebody, he is always very specific about the foul. He will tell you exactly what you did wrong. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. And so when the Holy Spirit is convicting, he's number one, everyone together, he's number one, always what? Specific. Number two, we're in the same game, second half. Minute to go in the game. Referee blows the whistle. Number 12 on the blue, reaching in. What are you talking about? I wasn't even near the guy. Ref, what are you talking about? Come on, number 12, you know what you did. No, I don't know what I did. Number 12, first half, you nailed that guy under the basket. What? First half, you nailed that guy under the basket. Ref, we're in the second half and there's a minute to go. What in the world are you talking about? You calling that now? That's kind of a late call. All right, let me tell you something about Holy Spirit. Number one, everyone together. Number one, the Holy Spirit's conviction is always, number two, it's always current. It's always current. Now listen to this. If there are things that you have done in your past that you are under tremendous conviction about, that is not of God. Unless you've never dealt with it. Because the past is still the present if you've never dealt with it. But my friend, I don't care what it is. I don't care what you've done. If you've been convicted specifically about something and the Holy Spirit 
has, and you've gotten that taken care of, maybe horizontally with some other people, vertically with God, you've confessed it, it's under the blood, and if it ever comes back up again, that is not of God. God's spirit, when he convicts, number one, it is always, and number two, it is always, now that'll help you tonight. Because as we go through this, you may feel convicted. And the Holy Spirit may work on your heart. By the way, I did put down a definition of conviction. Being convinced of right or wrong, of right or wrongdoing in your conscience. Being convinced of either right or wrongdoing in your conscience. Your conscience is your courtroom. And it does not work off logic and it does not work off emotion. It works off of truth, right and wrong. And your conscience will say, that was right, that was wrong. And that's where the Holy Spirit dwells in your conscience. And he will tell you what's right and he will tell you what's wrong. He will always be specific and he will always be current. If you're under like, man, I'll tell you what, tonight I just, I just feel terrible. I'm just guilty about everything. That is not of God. He'll be specific and he'll be current. Well, I'll never be able to mature in the Lord because of what I've got in my past, Brother Scheller. No, that is not true at all. He makes again a new vessel. He takes beauty out of ashes. And God can rebuild your life. And don't let Satan be the accuser of the brethren. Okay, that was all introduction. Are we all together? 1 Corinthians chapter number 2. I'm going to read verse, um, starting at verse 14. And then I think we're really going to have to read down through chapter 3, verse 9. So here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Hey, let's do something again tonight. And I just really mean this just so that we get up a little bit, which we all stand for the reading of God's word. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. And I'll go ahead and read, start reading at verse number 14. Now, as we go through this, there are three types of people on planet earth. There is the natural man unsaved. There is the spiritual man, those that are no Christ and are spirit-filled, and there is the, what kind of third man? Carnal man. That is the saved person acting like the natural person, okay? He's still carnal. He's still acting like he's lost, but he's saved. So there's three kinds of people. There is the spiritual man. There is the natural man, the lost man. The spiritual man is the saved man living victorious Christian life. And there is the carnal man. He is saved, but he's living like he was lost. All right, here we go. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. But, here he's the first guy we're introduced to. But the natural man, unsaved, doesn't, he's not been born again. He does not have a spirit yet that has been alive. He's got a spirit, but it is not connected with God. He is separated from God. But the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. For they are foolishness unto him, neither can he know them, because they are spiritually discerned. But he that is spiritual, here's the spiritual man. Oh, I love this. He that is spiritual judges all things, yet he himself is judged by no man. Well, that's a great word. That word there is to investigate. Here's really what I want you to get. Discern, examine, scrutinize. The spiritual man examines, scrutinizes, and discerns everything in their life. 
Brother Shelley, we're not supposed to judge. No, we're not supposed to judge other people when we got a beam sticking in our eye. But once you get the beam out of your eye, you can judge. The spiritual man judges all things. The only thing you cannot judge, especially about somebody else, you cannot judge their motive, but you can judge their action. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but I know what they're doing is not good. I don't know why they're doing what they're doing, but I know what they're doing is a good action. Are you with me? The spiritual man judges all things. All right, look verse 16. For who hath known the mind of the Lord that he may instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. And I, brethren, man, could not speak unto you is unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. You guys are not mature at all. I have fed you with milk and not with meat. For hitherto ye, ye were not able to bear it, neither yet now are ye able. For ye are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envy and strife and divisions, are ye not carnal and walk as men? For while one saith, I'm a Paul, and another, I'm of Apollos, and, uh, and are ye yet not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos, but ministers by, um, by whom ye believed, even as the Lord gave to every man. I have planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then, neither is he that planteth anything, neither he that watereth, but God that giveth the increase. Now, he that planteth and he that watereth are one, and every man shall receive his own reward according to his own labor. For we are laborers together. Look at the person next to you and say, you're a laborer with me. With God as well. Ye are God's husbandry. Ye are God's building. Brother said, did you know we're going to build a new building? Yeah. Well, let's work on the building of our spiritual lives tonight, okay? Father, we pray tonight that in these four marks of maturity, there's so many more we could give. Just these four tonight, may we examine, may we judge ourselves that we be not judged by others. Father, I think that is such an interesting thing that you allow us to do, that we can judge ourselves, scrutinize ourselves. May we not look down the pew. May we not think about the person next to us or the person across the room or the person that's not here tonight. May we examine ourselves tonight. May we scrutinize ourselves as spiritual people, see where we are, and then may every one of us in one of these four areas Take our next spiritual step. May we grow in maturity tonight in at least one of these areas. And tonight was the night, and I don't remember what day it is in February, the 6th, I think, that on this day in February 2023, I grew, I matured, I made a decision that has changed my life. Boy, that's a good evening if that's true, Lord. That's what I pray for. I can't do it, and they can't do it either. It has to be the Spirit of God in us, but may we see our weakness. May we make a decision on it, 
and then submit to the Spirit of God in our lives. We pray these things in Jesus' name and God's people said, Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So in Pensacola, Florida, the Shetlers lived in the same house for 13 years. We liked our home. Man, we had trampoline, basketball court, swimming pool. We, everyone in the neighborhood came down and played with my boys all the time. We had a great time. But it was time to move. We were going to California. So there was a lot of things packed up, a lot of things we sold. We had a bunch of yard sales and all of that. But I'll tell you, there was one thing. I said, man, what do I do with this? I got to take this with me. I don't know how. In the doorway from the kitchen into the laundry room in our house, there's a door jam. And that door jam had all different marks. And next to those marks were dates. And next to those dates were names. Ben, Luke, Drew. And those are all the marks of their growth. And I got to tell you, that was a hard thing. I said, Marilee, now Marilee's not as nostalgic as I am. So I said, Marilee, what do we do? Do we take the door jam with us? Yeah, we're not taking the door jam, Jim. I said, but Marilee, those marks, those are all marks. And then when my boys have kids, we got to check their dates at the same. She said, Jim, it ain't happening. <laughs> Come back to that uh, Moses Rod thing. <laughs> <laughs> I got to do a lot of stuff behind my wife's back. I'm sorry. I don't know. Well, I go out, and I get a board, and I mark everyone. By the way, my wife ended up helping me do all the things. Once I got the board, we started taking We said, we take a board with us. So we, we, marked all the, we marked all the board, and we got that board right now. And it's got all of our boys' growth for a 13-year period of time. It's got their name and their date and how tall they were at that time. And I got to tell you, my boys just love doing that. I mean, they, they, they wanted, you know, they said, hey, Dad, Dad, can we do it again? Can we do it? Hey, we did it yesterday, guys. Well, let's just try it again. You know, we just try it again. I, no, 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 guys, we got to wait at least a week, you know. And then, you know, we tried it next week, and I, I went like, wow, Drew, you really have gotten, Drew, get your feet down. You know why? Because it is in the heart of every person to grow. Every one of us want to mature. Mature is the reason why we, are, why we exist. It is the ripeness, it is the production, it is the completeness of what we're supposed to be. So in every one of us, there is a desire to mature, to grow. Man, I tell you what, I'm with those college students all the time. And those, it's all about maturity. And it's so fun. When they come in, they're 13th graders, okay, you know. They're not even college freshmen. They're like 13th graders, you know. And then you see them over four years. By the way, how about that song that Sharon sang tonight? Let me tell you something. That was a mature. I got to tell you this, not only because I don't have the voice, I'd be scared to sing a song like that. That song was a mature song, man. You know, Lord, whatever it takes. Whatever, whatever, man, that, that thing really spoke to my heart. Well, you know what? It's so interesting to watch these college kids. I mean, they come on campus, and they don't have a clue what's going on. But you know, by the time they graduate, they still, no, well, they do. <laughs> They've matured. And, and there's so many things. Now, 
This could be a 30-part series. I picked four tonight, and we got to go ahead and get going on these right away. So let me give you number one. These would be, this is not inclusive at all, but here's four areas that I did pray about, and I asked the Lord to guide me. I did talk to pastor about preaching a message on maturity and maturity. He thought that would be great. I did not talk to him about any of these points, though. But these are the points that the Lord laid on my heart in being here at Gospel Light. Number one, exercises the mark of maturity. A mature believer exercises biblical truth. A mature believer exercises biblical truth. Okay, if you need another statement for this, here's the statement. Mature believers are not just hearers of the word, they are doers of the word. If you are a mature believer... You are just, you don't come to church and just hear the word of God. You come to church and your life begins to change. You begin to exercise yourself in biblical truth. Any person that's taking what they are hearing and they're applying it to their life from the scriptures is a mature believer. That is a sign of spiritual growth in their life. Now, I got some passages that are unbelievable. Everyone take your Bibles and turn to 1 Kings. 1 Kings. We're going to be looking all over the Scriptures tonight. 1 Kings chapter 3. And as you're turning, I need your help. Everyone together, out loud. Solomon has just become king of Israel. He offers all of these sacrifices The Lord is pleased. And the Lord says to Solomon, whatever you ask, I will give you. (laughs) This is so good. Whatever you ask, I will give you. Everyone together, what did Solomon ask for? Whoa! You got some sharp people in here. It wasn't wisdom. It was not wisdom. Who said, there is somebody in this room that said, understanding heart. Who said understanding heart? That is it, girl. That is it. And very close to that is a discerning heart. That is exactly right. But now, we got to find the Hebrew word. Because it is the coolest thing in the world. First Kings chapter 3. When I looked this up, this is why definitions are so cool. When I looked this up, Pastor, and I found this, I went, oh. This is amazing. Okay, look at verse uh, number five. Um, and, and so the Lord says to him after all these sacrifices, ask what I shall give thee. Okay, so here it goes. Here's his ask. Verse number nine. Give therefore thy servant wisdom. No, 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 no. Give therefore thy servant and everyone together understanding heart to judge thy people that I may discern between good and and bad. This is so good. Hebrew word, understanding. Now, some of you that know the Jewish culture, some of you that know the Jewish culture are will be familiar with this word. Matter of fact, the highest holy passage of Scripture in the entire Bible to any Jew, it's the very first passage that they memorize, is called this. The word understanding is the word Shema, Shema. Can you all say that word? Now here's where it comes from. Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one Lord, one God. And serve him with all your heart and your mind. Love him with all your soul and all of that. Okay, 
The word hear. Hear, O Israel, the Lord thy God is one God. The word hear is the word, everyone together. Well, Brother Schiller, why did the King James translators translate it understanding? Oh, it's a great translation. Now listen to me. What did Solomon ask for? He asked for a Shema heart. Brother Scheller, what does that mean? Hear, O Israel. So he wanted a heart that heard from God. Now listen, this is the key to the word. The word Shema means, God, I'll tell you what I'm going to need as king of Israel. Because I don't know how to come in and I don't know how to go out. And I'll never be like my dad, David. So Lord, I'll tell you what I need. I need to hear from you every day to know how to act. So God, if I can have one thing, will you give me a, what kind of heart? Everyone together, what kind of heart? Shema heart. Give me a Shema heart that I will hear with the purpose of hearing to do. Not just, Lord, I just want to hear from you every day. Just give me a little something every day. No, that is not what we're dealing with here. Lord, I want to hear so that I know what to do. Now, folks, that's what Solomon asked for. He said, I got to tell you, I can never succeed in life if I don't hear from you and have a heart that's willing to do whatever you want me to do. Every time you come to this church and you hear this man preach, you should ask God before you ever hear him preach, God, Shamar heart today. Every morning when you get up and you go to the Word of God, you come with a Shamar heart. God, I need to hear from you today to hear to do something that I need to do. Because, folks, it is not what you know about the Bible that matters. It's what you do with the Scriptures that you know. It is not how much the Bible you know. It's how much of the Bible you live. All right, so what if I were to say to you tonight, hey, folks, I, I don't know if you guys know this or not, but I belong to a, a fitness gym. You do? I do. I belong to a fitness gym. Well, Brother Schiller, no offense, but maybe you ought to go once in a while. Well, let me tell you. I go six days a week. Brother Shelley, you go six days a week to the fitness gym? Yeah, six days a week. You spend five minutes? I spend an hour and a half. Brother Shelley, you go to a fitness place six days a week. Yeah. And you spend an hour and a half there. Yeah, 537 every morning. Brother Shelley. What do you do there? I walk around. Yeah, I know, I know, but like what machines are you using? Oh, I've never touched the machines. Brother Shetler, you go to a fitness room every day, every day, six days a week, six days a day. I, I rest one day. Rest from what? What are you doing? You don't have to rest, I don't think, Brother Shetler. You go for an hour and a half. Oh, yeah, I'm there for an hour and a half. And all you do is walk around the machines. Yeah. Every one of you would say, Jim, that's stupid. You're going to a fitness gym. You use the machines. Okay, that is stupid. 
But how many of you spend an hour and a half in this book every day and you never use any of the machines? You never exercise any of the scriptures in your life. There's never anything you do with what you're doing. So all you do is read the Bible every day and you walk around your little, your little spiritual gym. But you don't exercise anything. Now let me tell you what a mature person does. A mature person takes the word of God and assimilates it into their life. They, they live what they're getting. We need Shema hearts. And a man and a woman who is a mature believer has a Shema heart that says, Dear God, give me, I got to hear from you today to live out what you've given me. Now listen to this. Take your Bibles and turn to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5, you have got to see this. Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to start reading because we got to get going. Hebrews chapter 5, I'm going to start reading at verse 11. It's at the very end of the chapter. Verse 11. Of whom we have many things to say, Gospel Light Baptist Church, and hard to be uttered, seeing ye are dull of hearing. I do not know anything. I do not, I do not, I do not. But I got to tell you something I'd love to know. I would love to know the messages you would love to preach. But you know, I can't preach yet. They cannot handle it. I would love to know what this man would love to preach. That he cannot preach it because they'll choke on it, man. I'll lose people. It'll never work. Now, I think he preaches the whole counsel of God. I do, but I guarantee you there are areas that he would love to discuss that he can't. Now, he has not told me one thing, guys. He has not told me, but I pastored for 25 years. And there was, there was the, the files that I, wanted, that I preached, and then there were the files I wanted to preach. And I knew it's like, you know what? They're not, they can't handle it. Listen to this. Look at what he says. He says, seeing that ye are dull of hearing. Now, look at verse 12. For when for the time ye ought to be teachers, come on, gospel light, ye have need that one teach you again. That is a sign of immaturity. Which he, the first principle, which be the first principles of the oracles of God. Man, we're still on, we're still on, uh, 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 on base number one. We're still on first base, folks. And are become such as have need of milk. Not of strong meat. Now, I will tell you, I have enjoyed being here these last few days. You guys do like the meat of the word, and that says something about your spirituality. But look at verse 13 and 14. For every one of you that useth milk is unskillful in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat... Belongeth to them that are of full age. That's our word for tonight, folks. That is telestii. That is mature. That is finished. That is complete. That is perfect. Them that are of maturity. Even those who by reason of use, by reason of use, have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. Guys! If you're not using an exercise, by the way, the word there is gymnasium. If you are not gymnasium, the truths that you're giving, then you are not growing spiritually. I visited a girl years ago with one of the musical groups. 
and, and um, we visited this girl. She was 16 years old. She had a head and a face of a 16-year-old teenager, and she had a body of a 5-year-old. She had a disease that her body stopped growing at 5 years of age. Her head still developed, and you looked at her, and it was the most grotesque thing. She had, this, she had a head of a 16-year-old and a body of a 5-year-old, and it was just like, oh, she stopped growing. Guys, you got to exercise what you're getting. Some of you have been saved for 10, 20 years, and you have not grown. You have not exercised the spiritual truths that you know. Yes, I need to memorize some more verses. No, honestly, you don't need to memorize more verses. You need to start living the verses you know. You need to start exercising and using the machines. Number one, mark of maturity you exercise biblical truth. Number two, submissive. A mark of maturity is not independence. Uh-uh. A mark of maturity is submissive. And you're submissive to certain things. Number one, you have to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. There has to be a sensitivity. Any mature believer is sensitive to the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to tell you this. I want to be very transparent with you tonight. Sometimes we say something and do something before the Holy Spirit had a chance to say something to us. I don't know about you, but there have been many times where I said something or did something like, okay, and the Holy Spirit said, that's not what you should have said. But then we got to become very sensitive at that moment and to very quickly, very quickly ask God to deal with that. Hey, if I could be real transparent, I think he would allow me to do this. My pastor, Pastor Paul Chapel. I have been in meetings where Pastor Chapel got in the flesh. I've been, I'm just telling you, I've been there. I've been there. Where it's like, okay, that isn't Holy Spirit stuff right now. And you know what? I have been in those meetings that within 60 seconds, my pastor has stopped and said, hey, that wasn't right what I just did. And I'm going, that is the coolest thing in the world. Because, folks, I've been there too. I've said things to Marilee in the flesh, and God says, are you going to get it right? And it's usually a lot more than a minute for me, let me tell you. No, because she was wrong too, you know, and all that. Let me tell you, a mature believer. A mature believer isn't somebody that never says anything wrong. A mature believer is somebody who's willing to get it taken care of when the Holy Spirit talks to them. And you get it taken care of, and you get it, make it right. And I, and I want to tell you something. This is very good. you got to be submissive to the Holy Spirit. Number two, got to be submissive to authority. And under this, I want to give you something. Because I think we are so messed up on, on, on submission today. I'm going to give you a word. Okay, we're, you're still in the Hebrews 5 passage? Just turn over a couple chapters to Hebrews 13. Hebrews 13, and I'm going to set this up with an illustration, and I'm going to talk to you right, right about being submissive to authority. So um, years ago, when I was pastoring the campus church, our youth pastor, who's the pastor there now, a guy named Jeff Redlin, Jeff said, hey, Pastor Shetler, would you be willing to one Wednesday night, I think there's a guest speaker, would you be willing to come over to the youth group and speak to the teens? And I said, you know what, I'd love to do that. I used to be the youth pastor there. So I said, yeah, I'd love to come speak to the teens one night. He said, that's great, Pastor. Would you be willing to preach on authority? 
I go, oh, come on. My only chance to come over to speak to the teens and you want me to speak on authority? He said, Pastor, I just think you would do really good at that. I said, oh, I don't think I would. But anyways, okay, I'll do it. I'll speak on authority. So I'm looking for passages on authority. And I come to Hebrews 13. Now, <clears throat> I have to tell you about my Bible because you know I've been really big on the definition things. I've been real big on that, okay? Okay, so I have a Zodiades Bible. Brother Stuttler, you don't have a King James? Yes, it's a King James Bible, but it's a Zodiades. Now, the Zodiades does something really interesting. The Zodiades underlines words and puts numbers next to them, and then in the back, I have a whole, I have a whole Strong's Concordance and all kinds of dictionaries, and it's really cool. Okay, so I can look up all these words. So, I'm in my study. I'm studying on authority. I come to Hebrews chapter 13. This is a winner, guys. This is, so, this is almost as good as Shema. Shema's the best, though. But anyways, Hebrews 13, verse 17. Look what it says. Obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. I said, ah, that's my text. I'm going to preach from that. Okay, so i got to look up the word obedience. All right, now help me out, brother. Next to the word obey, there's a number. What's the number? 3982. What's that number again? Everyone together, what's the number? Okay, 3982. Okay, so I'm looking at this, and I, and I look, I see o, 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 obedience. I said, you know what? I need to look this number up. What's the number? So I'm about to turn to the back. And as I'm about to turn to the back, Pastor, put those glasses on. As I'm about to turn to the back, I happen to look down, and I see a, ver a word in verse 18. And in verse 18, there's a word that has got a number next to it. And I go, whoa, that's the same number. Everyone look at verse 18. Okay, verse 17, obey, what's the number? Verse 18, pray for us, for we, everyone together, what's the next word? Pastor, what's the number next to trust? Christos, 3982. And I went, oh my. The word obey in verse 17 is the word what in verse 18? And folks, that is the key to all submission. Oh, wives got to submit to their husbands. Yeah, let me tell you what that means. You trust God for the authority that's over you. You're trusting God. You know what, God? I'm trusting you. I'm not, I know my husband doesn't always make right decisions, but I have not been called to be my husband's Holy Spirit. I have been called to trust you for the authority that's been placed over me. There ain't no way, Jose, that this guy's going to always make the right decisions, and he may make some big doozies. But you know what you do? You trust your pastor. You know what, God? I'm going to trust you. I don't know if this is the right decision to make, but our pastor does. And God, I'm not going to murmur. That's immaturity. That's a little baby stuff. I'm not going to complain. You know what, God? I'm going to really start praying for pastor because I don't know if this is the right decision, but I'm going to trust you for the authority over me. Now listen to me. Tonight we got a guy given the State of the Union. I don't agree with that man at all. 
But you know what? I absolutely believe that all authority is ordained of God. And I'm going to tell you this. I do not want to submit to my government in many areas. Guys, I don't. But I'm going to tell you this. I'm going to trust God that he's going to work through the government. Hey, they lived in captivity for 70 years in Babylon, folks. They lived under that, and God said, while you're there, be happy, cheerful, joyful, and careful. But you guys, make you make you give the peace of Babylon. No, that's the peace of Jerusalem. No, no. You read Jeremiah 29. He says, you pray for the peace of Babylon. While, while you're in Babylon, you make that the best ever, and you trust that God will work through Nebuchadnezzar. Yeah, Nebuchadnezzar's like the most wicked person in the world. You trust God for the authority over now. Let me tell you something. The mature believer... It's not this independent spirit we see from Hollywood with all the heroes going and bucking all of the authority. The mature believer is one who learns how to submit, and submission is all about trust in God. And I want to tell you this. If you're going to be a mature believer, there has to be a spirit of submission in your life. There is one scripture in the entire Bible Brother Shelley, you're all these sensational hyperbole things, aren't you? Yeah, I don't know, but there is. There's only one verse. From Jesus, from his birth, being dedicated at the temple, to the beginning of his earthly ministry and his baptism, there is one verse in the entire Bible that covers him when he's 12, when he's 20, when he's whatever. There's one verse. Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth, and was subject unto them. But his mother kept all these sayings in her heart. You know what? The only verse that we have of Jesus Christ on this earth, from the ages of like two years old till his earthly ministry starts, is Luke chapter 2, verse 51. And what verse does it say? That he was subject to his parents. Let me tell you something. A mark of maturity is submission. Now, I want to give this, because this is a mature believer that does this. If you write anything down, write this down. These are the four steps to appeal. Because I absolutely believe why we're trusting authority and why we're submitting to authority, we absolutely have the right to appeal to authority. Absolutely. We ain't got no dictatorship at Gospel Light. There's no dictatorship in a home. And there's no dictatorship in America. So the fact of the matter is, there's always a possibility to appeal. But most people don't know how to appeal. It takes a mature believer to know how to appeal to authority. Here goes. Number one, you have the right motive. Why are you going to appeal to your husband, to your parents? Why are you going to appeal to your boss? I have a, a, a little folder of about three, four letters of people that I have come across that have appealed to their authority boss employer about things that their employer told them that they're going to start doing that were woke and politically correct, and they would not bow down to it. And they wrote these letters of appeal, and I got copies of them. They are like a dynamite. They, they came with the right motive. If you continue this policy, I will not be able to continue my employment here. I've been here for 20 years, 25 years, 30 years. But I will not continue in employment here. And, and they got the right motive. Number two, they got the right words. You come and you think out what you're going to say. Here's a huge one. You go at the right time. There is a time to approach authority and there's a time not to approach authority. And then number four is the key. You have the right response no matter what they say. 
You come at the right mo- with the right motive, with the right words at the right time, and you have the right response no matter what they say. And I'm going to tell you something. God will use that appeal. I'd like to have Abigail come out here right now. Because Abigail will tell you what he's saying is true. I appeal to David. And my appeal was accepted because I came with a right motive. I know my husband was a fool. But I came with the right motive. I came with the right words. I came at the right time. And I brought a bunch of food too. (laughs) And you know what? I was going to have the right response, but I was hoping that David wouldn't kill my husband because he would never be able to be king if he would have killed Nabal. And so I came with the right thing. Hey, we'd like to have Esther come in here right now. Esther, would you come on in here right now? And Esther was the king, man, I mean, or the queen, I guess. But she was the best. She does this whole meal thing, and at the end of it, she's got the right time, she's got the right words, she's got the right motive, and she's going to have the right response. And at the end of the meal, the king said, hey, man, I'm telling you right now, girl, I'll give you half my kingdom. What do you want? Well, you want to know. I want you to come again tomorrow night and bring that guy Haman too. And I want you to kill him again. Okay, this is too, what in the world? She set that up. She set that appeal up. What else was Ahasuerus going to do but listen to that appeal? And then I'll tell you what, I know a guy named Daniel. And I'm going to tell you something. Daniel had the right motive. He had the right words to that eunuch. He had the right time, and he was going to have the right response. And I'm going to tell you something. God handled that appeal. We are not appealing to authority because we're so immature. We argue with authority. That's immaturity. There is a right response to authority, and it's submission. And we have so lost that. And submission's key word is trust. All right, number three. Number three is pretty quick. Third mark of maturity, one, submissive. Number two, number one, exercise biblical truth. Number three, faithful. Faithful. The longer I live, I believe this is the greatest single mark of maturity in a believer's life. They're faithful. You can be counted on to do what is right. Now, let me tell you, I got three grandsons. They're like, uh, I got one's like just about three years old. One is like going to be two years old, like in another a couple weeks, and and one is about a year and a half old. I got three three grandsons. Let me tell you something about my three grandsons. You cannot, you cannot leave Cranston, Ryder, and Hunter by themselves. You cannot leave them, and you know why? They're babies, they're toddlers, and they're extremely immature. They have to have a babysitter. And let me tell you why they have to have a babysitter. Because we have no idea what they will do if they're not under constant care. Let me tell you what faithful is. You know what? I'm not worried about that person. I can count on them that they'll do right. They don't need a babysitter. Because I know what they're asked to do, they will do. I can count on them. Without a doubt, the longer I live... I think the greatest mature character trait of a believer is that they become faithful. That what they say, their their yay means yay, their nay means nay. And when you ask them to do something, they do it because they're a mature believer. They don't need a babysitter all the time. Some of you can't be left alone without looking at trash. you got to have a little babysitter with you all the time. you got to have all this accountability. You know what? Mature believers... Mature believers are faithful, and they steward what has been given to them 
in a very faithful way. They're not going, well, I wish I had that spiritual gift. I wish I had. No. They know who they are. They're comfortable about the way God in their identity in Christ. And they're very, they're mature. I see this with college students so often. They want to be like somebody else and they want this. and Just be faithful in what God's given you. The other day, pastor was saying he's a two-talent. He said, man, I ain't got much, Brother Scheller. I got two talents. Well, I'm telling you, you're looking at a one-talent guy. I got one talent, but I want to be faithful with that one talent. I want to be faithful. I want to be counted on till the end. I'll tell you, the greatest passion in my life right now is to finish well. And I think that's about faithfulness. And the mature believer is faithful. We've got to get to number four and we're done. Exercise biblical truth, submission, faithful, and here's the last one. This is a mark of a mature believer. They build people up. Maturity people, they're not about themselves. They build people up. They don't murmur. They don't debate with other people. They are not easily offended. Everyone say that together. They're not what? Yay, 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 yay. Yay, I will. I'll park for just a little bit. Wow. Christians today are so, I, can't, I say something in a classroom that's just a little funny and they go, ooh, Dr. Shetler. And I go, ooh, what? Man, have a little thick skin. You're so easily offended. That is a sign of an immature person. It's all about drama. It's all about this happening. Oh, I can't believe what she said. I can't believe what it did. Oh, wow. Oh, I can't. Oh, it's just terrible. It's just unbelievable. Oh, grow up. Take a baby aspirin and move on, man. We are so thin-skinned. Mature people are thick-skinned, and they're not easily offended. I'm going to tell you something else. Mature people do not pick up other people's offenses. They do not pick up other people's offenses. That is a sign of an immature person that needs acceptance from somebody else. So let me tell you this. I'm finishing up my sophomore year at college. Rumors out. You know how rumors go at Bible college. Rumors out, Dr. Godwin's leaving. Now let me tell you about Dr. Ron Godwin. He's like the coolest guy in the world. He was my favorite chapel speaker. He was my favorite teacher. He was my favorite guy at college. To me, everything rose and set on Dr. Ron Godwin. He was just like the coolest guy in the world. And I just loved Dr. Godwin. He was vice president of the college back then. And a rumor was out Dr. Godwin's leaving. I said, man, Dr. Godwin's leaving. I'm leaving. This Okay, I come to, I come to college in 1975. I stayed till 2006. So I'm, I'm at Pensacola for 31 years, okay? So this is my second year there. And I hear that Dr. Godwin's leaving. Well, I'm going, Dr. Godwin's leaving, I'm leaving. So I make an appointment with Godwin, Dr. Godwin. And I go, he was my tennis buddy, too. He'd call me up, you know, and this is before cell phones, so he could, get, he could get me, man. He said, Shetler. He never called me by my first name, and I loved it. He always called me Shetler. He never called me. I don't think he, till this day, he didn't have any idea what my first name is. But it was always Shetler, and I loved it. It was like a term of endearment, you know. He said, Shetler, we're going to play tennis this afternoon. I said, man, you got it, Dr. Godwin. I'm there, man. Whatever you want, man, I'm it, man. You are the man, okay. So I make this appointment with uh, Dr. Godwin. I go into his office, and he's a big guy. He's about 6'4", 6'5", and he's gauntly. 
And, uh, and I sit down. He says, Shetler, what do you want? Well, um, I, I want to ask you a question. Shoot. Well, I've heard something. You heard something. What would you hear, Shetler? Dr. Godwin, I heard that you're leaving. Dr. Godwin, if you're leaving, I'm leaving. Because you're like the best thing at this college. Dr. Godwin, if you're leaving, I'm leaving. What happens next changes my life. Dr. Godwin takes his long, bony arm, stretches it across the, the desk, and points it right in my finger. And Dr. Godwin says this, Shetler, whether I stay or go has nothing to do with you at all. Shetler, if I ever leave here, that's between me and God. Shetler, if you ever leave this place, you make sure you leave this place on your own red wagon. Don't you jump on someone else's red wagon. Shetler, you know what I'm saying? Yes, sir, I know what you're saying. Godwin left that year. Went to Clearwater, then went to Liberty. He was there the day Jerry Falwell passed away. He was best friends. He was the provost of Liberty University. Godwin was the coolest guy in the world. I mean, he was really cool. He left that year. But I didn't jump on his red wagon. And I ended up staying, guys, for 29 more years. And during those 29 years, there was a lot of red wagons I could have jumped on. There was a lot of red wagons where I went like, well, that's it, man. If they did that to you, I'm, that is so wrong. I am on that wagon, and I am out of here. There were so many red wagons. Let me tell you what's destroying churches today. A bunch of immature baby Christians that are jumping on other people's offenses. Now, let me tell you this. I don't know what the future holds for you at Gospel Light, but one thing I would make a decision tonight as a spiritual, mature person, God, if we ever leave Gospel Light, It'll be on our red wagon, not on anyone else's red wagon. No way am I jumping on someone else's red wagon. I, by the way, you never hear the other side of the stories either, you know? you tonight. There are four. There are so many more, Mark. You guys could do your own series on this, but there are four that I wanted to bring up. Tonight, would you, would, would you say, you know what, tonight, Lord, I'm making a mark in my spiritual growth. Tonight, I'm not just going to be a hearer of the word. I'm going to start being a doer. God, I love that thing. Lord, rest of my life, I want to pray this. God, give me a Shema heart. I want to hear from you every day of my life in order to obey.
I don't want to just hear from you. I want to shema heart. I want to hear to obey. God, I am all in on this thing. And God, give me a shema heart. That is a mature believer. And you start exercising. You don't need more Bible verses. You need to start doing the Bible verses that you know. Then be submissive. Now that was probably a tough one. And the key to submission is, you know what, Lord? I need to start growing up. I disagree with my authority. I disagree with, but you know what? In order to get along with people, I just need to let it go. Give up my personal rights, submit, and trust you. And by the way, I talked about the Holy Spirit and authority, but that's true. Submit to your, your peers. And by the way, learn how to submit to those that are under you. Brother Shelley, that, that didn't make any sense. They're supposed to submit to me. No. Let me tell you something. What does it say in the Bible about the marriage? Husbands and wives submitting yourselves one to another. Yeah, in the fear of God. Let me tell you something. I've had to submit to people that were under me about different things. Hey, there was a ton of stuff raising three boys. That we gave up our spiritual liberty, our spiritual freedom. Hey, we're in Christ. We can do whatever we want to do. I can do, I can listen to this. But you know what? We submitted to our boys and we surrendered that for the sake of our boys' minds and hearts. You know what? We're not going to watch that. We're not going to do that. We're not going there. You know what? Marilee and I could go there. We're spiritually mature enough to handle that. But we're going to give that up. We're going to submit that. We're going to give that up for the sake of a younger believer that could be offended and stumble. Are you with me? That's a mark of maturity. And we have such an immature Christianity in America today. It's all about, I'm free. I'm, I've got liberty in Jesus. I can do whatever I want. Don't you put those things on me. Whoa. Why don't we grow up and say, dear God, I'm willing to give up my liberties for the sake of other brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm willing to let those things go. You learn how to submit. And then I don't remember the third one. What's the third one? Oh, faithful. God, I am not a faithful believer. And tonight, I'm making a mark on my spiritual growth. And tonight, I've decided people are going to be able to count on me. And I'm going to be faithful. I don't need a babysitter. If I'm given a responsibility, I do it. And then, dear God, whoa, I need to grow up in building up. You know what? I want, I, I want okay, I'm going to church. They better, they better encourage me. No, I'm here to build up others. And don't, and decide, I'm not getting on someone else's red wagon. So there are definitely some areas tonight now, again, this isn't performance Christianity tonight. Any decision you make tonight, it's got to be backed by the Holy Spirit. But I really believe that every one of you tonight could make a little mark on your spiritual growth and say, tonight, I made this decision. God, I'm going to need your grace to do this. I can't do this on my own. But you really convicted me. It was specific, and it's current. And you really specifically convicted me about an area tonight that I want to respond to. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed.